0: So good to see all of you here this morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at the last six verses of chapter 2 this morning, and what a beautiful day. So good to see all of you here. We get to worship the Lord together and go to God's Word. So read with me. 2 Peter 2, beginning in verse 17, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm, for them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. But the true proverb, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the
1: sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. You know, there's something about this time of year that I always
0: regret, don't look forward to. There's a lot about it that I do. Isn't it beautiful outside? Don't you love being able to get out and just enjoy? the beauty of it, the coolness of the air. I got up yesterday morning and the sun was shining and it felt like it was just such a wonderful briskness to the day. It was just beautiful. It was it was cool. It was just a great, great day. There's a lot about this time of the year that you can't help but just love. But there is something about it this time of year that I don't like as much, and that's the call that I received from my exterminator saying that it is time for my annual inspection and protection around my house that I got to do for termites. Those little boogers are everywhere this time of year, and if you live in this part of the country, it's one of those things that unfortunately you have to pay attention to. So about this time I get a call, and I rarely take it, and I tell Allie about it. She sighs. I sigh with her, and then we we realize we have to do it again, and then we go and we call I make a phone call, and they come out, and after I pay way too much money for it, then my house is then protected for another, for another 12 months from those awful, winged, wood-eating insects. Well, you know, we might debate this morning the best way that you deal with the issue of termites in Smyrna, Georgia. When you come to 2 Peter chapter 2, it would really waste our time to try to debate whether or not we have to deal with the existence of false teachers. In the very first verse of 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter says that there will be false teachers among you. And he's not talking about the false teachers that you watch on television, and they seem to be everywhere or even the false teachers that you might even pay for their book and you read their heresy in those books. I guess if you take those things and make it your own, he could be talking about this, but he's mostly talking about false teaching that is being taught and voiced by people within the local church.
1: That's why he says that there will be false teachers among you. Not out there among you. Warren
0: Wearsby warns Satan is the counterfeiter. He has a false gospel preached by false ministers, producing false Christians. And Satan plants his counterfeits wherever God plants true believers. So this chapter, Second Peter 2, is all about counterfeit believers. And from the very first, in chapter 2, verse 1, we learn that they are sneaky. They come into churches looking innocent, but they are secretly bringing with them destructive heresies. They preach a false gospel that denies the master who went to a cross and bought us. Chapter 2, verse 2, they exploit us with false words. Chapter 2, verse 3, They're filled with arrogance and lust and greed. Read about it in verses 4 and 5. You read about it from verses 10 through 16. They're like fishermen who have dropped a hook in the water and presented a perfect bait to a hungry fish. And just like these, they have lured away, according to 2 Peter 2, verse 14, unsteady, vulnerable people are super close to becoming Christians. They're just not quite there yet. Well, I want to take some time this morning, and I want us to focus on these last six verses of chapter 2. And when you come to verse 17 of this chapter, there is a shift in the information that Peter gives. The opening verses, chapters 1 through 16, he focuses primarily on The characteristics of false teachers but then he changes in 17 through 22 to talk about the effect that these false teachers have on others and it's important when you read these verses this morning that you do not misunderstand the verses that you find at the end of chapter 2 verses 20 through 22. i'm going to explain these verses in just a few moments but I want to begin by just helping you know what they're not saying. These verses are not saying that a person can truly and authentically be saved and begin a walk with Jesus and become a Christian and then somewhere along the way lose their salvation. Peter said this in those verses, he would completely contradict what Pastor Hodges just read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And if you look at those verses, just underline what you'll find in verses 3, 4, and 5. These verses are wonderful. This calls us all to stand up and be grateful. When Jesus raises you from spiritual and utter death and he gives you eternal life, those verses tell us that God is in heaven protecting the inheritance that you will receive forever and ever. And it also tells us that in God's power, He comes to us while we're still living on this side of eternity, and He gives us what we need so that our salvation is preserved until we get to go to heaven and we get to experience the fullness of all that He has ready for us there. So, 1 Peter makes it abundantly clear in these verses, if you're a Christian, you cannot fall away. You can't. So this morning I want us to take these verses at the end of chapter two. As he's describing the effects of false teacher, and I want us to understand what they mean for us as a church. The qualities that must be true of us if we're going to be a faithful church, faithful to Jesus, who is our bridegroom. And what I want you to look at these verses, understanding is this faithful churches, they teach their members
1: how to persevere in the faith. That's just what faithful churches do.
0: There are so many threats out there to your eternal security being propagated and put forward by these false teachers. So we want our church to give an answer. We want our church to make sure that what we're teaching, how we're delivering the truth of the gospel, the way that we're living out those truths in our lives, our pastors long for this, our deacons long for this, every church leader here wants us to be this kind of church, and we must be, because there are false teachers that are swarming all around us, just like those awful termites
1: in the spring. So We've got to guard ourselves against them, and we will As long as these things are true,
0: from verse 17 forward, first we will as long as our preaching has
1: substance. Our preaching must have substance. When Peter describes these false teachers, he begins with a a recognition of the experience of sitting underneath them. There's a reason why people continue to go to them. Something about their speech is
0: captivating them. And they are masterful in the way that they deliver their message. Their speech often is filled with impressive orality, or the way my father in
1: law likes to put it, they've got the gift of gab. But what was missing in all their impressive speech? It's what should have been at the core
0: of their sermon's message. Because as you listen to them, there's just no gospel glory in it. The preaching, according to what Peter says, it lands in places that are extremes. Now the first thing that he says in verse 17 is that their preaching is like a waterless spring. Jude, if you flip over just a few verses in your Bible, who is writing about the same time period, he uses similar language. In fact, if you read Jude, you'll find a lot of similarities in 2 Peter. And in Jude, verse 12, he uses the same kind of language. Peter talks about waterless springs. Jude talks about waterless clouds. Now, I just want you to imagine with me for a moment. You're living back in the days of Peter when he's writing to the church, and you're on a long journey under the hot Mediterranean sun of the Middle East. And you're weary from the heat as you're traveling, and you know around the bend is a spring. It's been documented. Someone's told you about it. It's there. And you're so thirsty. You just want to drink. So you find that spring, and sure enough, it's there. But you go to that spring, and you find that that spring is all dried up you imagine how frustrated you would be? In fact, if you were counting on that to be where you would replenish your water supply, it might even bring you to a place that you're wondering if you're even going to make it much longer. And I share that with you because when I think about what he calls false teachers being waterless springs, doesn't it just bring to your mind what you read about in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, when God says through the prophet, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves,
1: broken cisterns that can hold no water. So Peter talks about these waterless springs that the false teachers
0: bring forward. He then also warns about the other extreme. One situation, there's not any water in them. They're dry. The other situation, there's too much. Mists mists that are driven by a storm. I remember the most difficult driving condition I've ever been in. It was way too late at night. I should not have left this late. Driving home from Sanford University, going I-20 back to this side of Atlanta. It was about 10.30 at night and an awful tornadic-type thunderstorm blew up, and the entire time I'm riding, I guess I'm chasing this storm right down I-20, and I'm behind these tractor trailers. I'll never forget it. I was praying, oh, Lord, please just help me get there. Now, why in the world did I not just think, let me just pull over to the side? There's none of that in my thinking. I'm just plowing my way through I-20, doing my best to get home, but as I'm going, The rain is falling against my windshield so heavily, I can't even see five feet in front of where I am headed. And that's what happens if you get too much water, if you're traveling through a storm. The rain is so heavy that you just can't see. So the problem that Peter addresses here of false teachers is the problem of what they do. They completely obscure your vision for life. You can hardly even see. So here's the issue. This is why there's such a vacuous quality to false teaching. False teaching promises like a spring to give your soul what it needs to be satisfied from the parchedness that life can bring it. False teachers promise to act like a good pair of eyeglasses and give you the vision to make your way through life's confusion, but actually, false teaching never delivers on
1: their promise. They just don't. So they're like springs that are dry. They're storms that just blow up and you can't even see. And
0: that is why the God who guards our internal inheritance with all of his power, as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 tells us, is also the God who uses his power to bring judgment against these counterfeiters. Because by the end of verse 17, we learn that if these counterfeiters, if they do not repent, what awaits them is eternal gloom and darkness forever and ever. When I read about that, can I just tell you, the contrast that I hope you'll always sense when you come here, that our sermons have to be much different than those sermons. And I'm not saying you can't deliver sermons with great quality, with great skill, with great creativity. Those things are really valuable. They're good. But I hope that our preaching sounds a whole lot more like what we read about in John chapter 4, when Jesus met with a woman at a well in Samaria than the false teaching does here in second peter remember that encounter jesus goes out of his way to visit samaria and there at the well is a woman and they begin a conversation that changes her life that begins with jesus simply asking the woman for a drink of water And when that woman answers him she's surprised that he would even speak to her at all And Jesus tells her when she replies, if you knew who it was who was asking of you for a drink, instead of meeting my request, you'd have asked me for a drink for you. Because the water that I have to offer you is water unlike any water that you'll find even at the bottom of this well. Everyone who drinks this water in this well, they're going to get thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I will give to you, It will keep you from ever being thirsty. In fact, that water will become a spring of living water that wells up unto eternal life. That's what I hope you'll always know will be what you can count on will happen every time we gather, every time a lesson is taught within our church. We want to teach it as effectively as we can. I want your heart to be stirred. I want your mind to be challenged. But more than anything, I want you to know that when you are thirsty and your soul is parched, you know you can come here and you won't leave disappointed that the spring is dry, that you won't leave disappointed that you can't see your way forward because you will hear the gospel preached. It'll be a well of water springing up in your heart and in your life, giving you what your soul needs the
1: most. That's what I pray. will happen here. Our preaching must have substance. But along with substance, I pray that our church will be protected from
0: false teachers because the consciences of our people,
1: they must be clean. That's what we read about in verses 18 and 19. The effect of false teaching gives you sermons, might be good to listen to, might leave thinking, wow,
0: boy, that was encouraging, but it never delivers on its promises.
1: And further, this kind of false teaching, it leaves you in your sin. The
0: sermons that these preachers may give you, they they may be entertaining, but they never Deliver on motivating and inspiring you to pursue holiness the SV says at the beginning of verse 17, verse 18 that they speak loud boasts of folly I love the way that Tom Schreiner says that the syntax of the original Greek here is that this word that's translated speaks loud boasts of folly now this is We're going to get a little deep here. You ready? It is an instrumental participle, which means that false teachers are using their words as an instrument for a reason. Just like Adam and Marie and Julie use their voices as an instrument for the glory of God. Just like David Dassinger and Connor Bishop and all the ones up here on the stage and our wonderful. Instruments, use their instruments to help you worship God. They're using their teaching as an instrument, but it's not in a good way. They're using their words to entice in you lustful desires
1: for the flesh. That's what false teachers do. This is the same deceptive word in verse 18
0: that, if you'll remember, was used to entice unsteady souls. That word
1: Entice was used back in verse 14. False teachers, they seduce. They're misleading. And their goal is to get you to bite down on the hook. When you're most vulnerable, when you're most vulnerable, you...
0: What they try to do is to not rescue you in that state of vulnerability, but they try to take advantage of it, and in that moment, their goal is to wreck your life. They seek to keep you in the dreadful places that you barely escaped from. If you can imagine a soldier in combat leaving the hot zone, a false teacher says, don't just retreat to a place where it's safe after you battled. Go back into the fire. Stay in the dangerous places.
1: And verse 19 explains why they do such things. It's because misery loves company.
0: These teachers promise freedom, but their way of freedom is to not take you away from sin that keeps you in bondage. Instead, they've done something different, they've convinced themselves in their own justified delusion that God does not care anything about our sin. It really doesn't matter, they believe, because later on in chapter 3, verse 4, they're going to argue Jesus isn't returning anyway. Everything's just going to continue to go on just as it has since the days that the world was created. So there's no second coming. There's no Jesus we need to be ready for. You can continue to live however you want to live. And the false teachers, they're living their lives this way,
1: and they want everybody else to live their lives that way too. But all of this is just wrong. And Sometimes we just miss the fact that Christianity is
0: so much more than just a list of a bunch of rules. I'll just be honest. If that's what you've equated and simplified your Christianity down to, probably made yourself as vulnerable as anybody. God has given us the fullness of His Word, but He's given it to us for our own good and for His glory. All of it is so that we can truly flourish. So, He's given to us all of the doctrines. He's called us to all of His commands for all of these reasons. So, don't live your life. Then, according to what verse 19 says, this Proverbial statement, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Instead, live your life in a different way, the way that Jesus intends, who is the author of life, the one who tells us in John chapter 8, I came so that you will know the truth and that the truth will set you free. And then later on in John chapter 8, verse 36, he says, So the Son sets you free, and when he does, you'll be free indeed. It's not restrictive, enslaving, to live your life for Jesus. That's where real freedom can be found. And as a church, when false teachers are swarming all around, we're going to be protected by substantive, gospel-saturated teaching. The teaching does cause us to think like Christians ought to think, but also to live as we ought to live of people who have been rescued from the destructive seduction that is in the world that you will find everywhere.
1: If you're going to persevere in your faith, preaching's got to have substance. Our
0: lives, the way we live our lives, they they must also have, we must have consciences that are clean. The third thing that you read about in verses 20 through 22 is that our repentance has got to be genuine. When you read verse 20, I hope you'll take the time to underline that word, knowledge. You'll remember from our time walking through 2 Peter, the word epigenosis is an important Greek word. It's the gospel word. It means not just to have knowledge, but epigenosis means to have full knowledge. It's the main gospel word that Peter uses over and over in this letter. What he goes on to tell us in verse 20 is that there are though times when it seems as if someone has received Christ. It seems as if the gospel has taken root. But instead of, and using Jesus' words from the parable of the soils, instead of that gospel seed falling on fertile soil, it might be the rocks of life, or it might be the weeds around us of false teaching that cause a person to give up and to return to their old way of living.
1: And whenever they do that, church, this is tragic. Peter says, that when that happens,
0: their situation is even worse than it ever could have been in the beginning. One of the ways to understand what he's calling out here, this is what happens when people repent from their true repentance. They've turned to Jesus, but now they've turned back. And verse 21 says, it would have been better for them had they never known the way of righteousness. That word the way of righteousness speaks of the moral life that's demanded by
1: everyone who belongs to God. It had been better for them to have never found it at all. And as you
0: think about this, I just want you to remember all the experiences that you've had in your life
1: with others. We've all seen this before. Someone walks an aisle of a church, make a profession of faith. They might even get baptized. But then, whatever the reason, they're not here anymore. When you talk
0: to Mr. Y, they act as if they never should have been here to begin, to begin with. And their situation is even worse than where it might have been at the first. I read it this way this week cynicism and bitterness. Multiply in the soul of individuals who turn from God's grace back to sin. It's even harder for them now. It's harder for their hearts to be softened by the gospel. Without knowledge, and with knowledge rather, with knowledge comes responsibility. But when that responsibility to live true to what you now know, when that is abdicated, The effect can be devastating. And it so often is. It would have been better for them had they never responded to the gospel in the first place at
1: all, says Peter. How do we really understand these verses? Well, We know that if you're
0: going to live your life for the glory of God, there's going to be a constant desire in your life To work to make sure that your election as a believer in Jesus has been made sure. Remember what it says? Back in 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm just going to read these verses and I don't want you to think there's a contradiction here. You truly are saved, your heart will resonate with these verses. For this reason, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. and. Knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever lacks, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed by his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Do you see it? For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So those who continue to live a life of godliness, they will receive heaven.
1: But Peter just said that a person had the epigenosis. And because of the knowledge of
0: Jesus as Lord and Savior, they had escaped the world's defilements. At least for a while, they had accepted the gospel truth, they were living their life differently, but now they're not anymore. So how do we know for sure that that text is telling us that you cannot lose your salvation? Well, the key to all of this is what we read about in verse 22. I want you to see how all of this comes together. And it's through the Proverbs that Peter writes about, using as an example, a dog and a pig. Now, when we talk about dogs in Peter's day, they're not like our little pooches that we have today. Dogs are thought of differently back then. I'm amazed today at how, I mean, I've got one in my Parents, family, they they joke about it. When you left the house, son, we replaced you with maestro. And I know what they're saying. They're saying what they really think about me, right? But we love our dogs. Don't misread our love for our pets, the affection we have our pets into these verses. Dogs back in Peter's day were not the beloved animals that we have made them today. They roamed in packs. They scavenged
1: for garbage. And whenever they needed to, they would return to their own disgusting, filthy, sniffed-out vomit, try to live. And then pigs. If you're especially a person who is a Jew in Peter's day, pigs are not thought of very highly, are they? It's an unclean animal, and if you give that unclean pig a bath and make it look like
0: Wilbur, you know what I'm talking about? Some pig. That Wilbur at the fair. What's what's, what's, what's the book? Charlotte's Web, right? That amazing spider that puts all kinds of wonderful things in its web for, for Wilbur the pig. No matter how much you might love that little pig Wilbur, if that little pig Wilbur gets a chance to go back to its mud pot pit, you might have cleaned it up, but it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. It's not going to go back to that mud pot pit and think, I really need to avoid this mess. I just got a bath. That's not what they're going to do. That pig's going to do what that pig's going to do, and it's going to return and wallow in the mud. That's what the text says. And all of this helps us understand why there's a word of warning at the end of 2 Peter 2, not falling for the lure, the seduction of a false teacher, making sure we're persevering to the end, making sure our lives are making every effort to make our election sure, How do we know it's not talking about this awful event in which someone can truly be saved and then fall away? Well, it's because of the way that we interpret this last two verses, this verse about the dog and the pig. Because that dog might change its behavior superficially for a short time. And that pig might stay clean for a little while but they will not persist in their change of how they're acting because on the outside, they might look different for a short time, but on the inside, you don't have anything that's changed. And eventually, the outside goes back to looking like the inside because dogs and pigs on the outside, according to verse 22, are the same dogs and pigs that are on the inside. Though they exposed themselves to the gospel, though they saw the beauty of Christ, though they saw the glory of redemption, and they say came so close. And they savored Jesus. They craved something different. They never were fully changed. They never really gave their lives to Jesus, They never were regenerated. And the false teachers
1: came in and reminded them. You're not a Christian. You're still something different. You're still just a dog or pig, as using the analogy here. And they l- remained in their state of what they were to begin with. When we see people looking different because they've received Telling that they've received Christ,
0: glory in that. We celebrate their baptism. But the real mark of genuine conversion is a life lived in growing Christ-likeness to Jesus.
1: And that's what we should always do our best to encourage and pursue.
0: We've got to help others persevere to the end. Don't forget the words of the Baptist faith and message are true. The purpose of God's grace is that all true believers will endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by His Spirit will never fall away from a state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. And believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation whereby they grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves, yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith and salvation. Don't misunderstand the warning, but receive it the way it's intended. At the end of the day, the only thing that changes a person is the finished work of Jesus, raising them to new life, changing them from the inside out, And when you are changed in Christ and he becomes your Lord, there may be times that we lapse into things we wish we weren't, but we repent of those things. And the main course of our life is that we grow in the image of Jesus until we get to be with him one day in heaven. And God the Father is protecting that inheritance. And until then, Peter says, the Father is working in his power to guard us and protect us. So that we're faithful until we
1: get there and we see Him.
0: So, how do we make sure we're helping our people preserve, persevere to the end? Well, our preaching
1: has got to have substance.
0: And our consciences, they've got to be clean as we're growing in the likeness of Jesus.
1: And our repentance has got to be genuine. I just want you to know false teachers are swarming all around us, but I pray that we'll be a people who endure to the end. I want to ask you to bow your head and close
0: your eyes as we move into a time that we just think about these truths. We're going to sing in just a moment, but whenever I read this text, it's hard reality about why dogs and pigs are the metaphor at the end of. Peter, it helps remind us that at the end of the day our only hope is for Jesus to do something in us that we cannot do of ourselves. We can't do anything or be anything except sinners who are rebels and are living our lives not for the Lord but against Him. But when Christ comes in and we receive the gospel, He changes us Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And what happens when that takes place is a complete transformation of your life. So the question this morning is, have you ever trusted in Jesus? Has he ever transformed you by the power of the gospel and raised you to eternal life in him? For some of us in this room, we might have been at church for a long time. And the whole reason why you have been around Christianity so long is to come to this awareness right now. That you want to be forever changed by Jesus. You need Him to do something in you that only He can do. And the promise is, when you cry out to Him, when you call upon His name, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to confess Him as Savior. You need to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's when he'll become your Lord. For all of us in here, though, the truth of the matter is there's so much false teaching out there. If anything, let this just be a call for us to be a people of the book. We want our lives to be filled with the substance of the gospel. We want the way that we live to not be set by the world around us, but we want to resist We want to live our lives in a way that pleases God. We want our repentance to always be genuine. If that's where you are, I just pray that right now you can just look in your own heart and into your own life. Before you look at what's wrong with everything else, look inside. Father, is there anything in me that I need to turn over to you? I just pray that you'll think about those things even now as we sing in just a moment. If you want to be a part of a church that's faithful, to help its members persevere to the end, I invite you to join this one. We'd love for you to be a part of our family right here. Father, we thank you so much for your truth. Pray that you'll have your way with us, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.